title of this message is The Love of the Spirit. Uh, I've never heard a message on the love of the Spirit. I've never known anybody to preach on the love of the Spirit. And so I was reading this this week, if you look in verse 30 with me. It says, Now I beg you, brothers, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. And so he mentions this in verse 30, the love of the Spirit. He says, I, I beg you, brothers, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit. And so I want to talk to you today about this subject, the love of the Spirit. Obviously here he's speaking about the Spirit of God who's in you. And so there's Two ways I want to look at this is he mentions that he just says the love of the Spirit. So the first way I want to think about it is the fact that the Spirit loves you. And I want us to take quite most of the message to talk about the Spirit loving you. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. We talk about God loving you. And the Spirit of God is, a, is one of the persons of the Trinity of God. But have you ever thought about the Spirit loving you? And then in the end, in the application, I want to talk about you loving the Spirit. I don't know if you ever thought about that, how you love the Spirit. So first of all, the Spirit loves you. And to start with, I just went back into Romans because a lot of times when uh, God uses somebody in, in the Bible to speak about something that we're not uh, very familiar with, He's already addressed it and been leading up to it. And so I started by looking in the book of Romans about the Spirit and, and found some truths about how the Spirit loves us in the book of Romans. The first one was found in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. It is the indwelling of the Spirit. The fact that the Spirit comes to live inside of you, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? The Spirit of God has been placed inside of you. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, there's, there's the words, He dwells in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So He's talking about two things here. First of all, the Spirit of God and His power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power of resurrection... He's now saying that spirit dwells in you. And the same way that spirit raised Jesus from death back to life, in the end of verse 11, he says, he will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit. So the, the spirit, this third person of the Trinity of God, he dwells in you when you get saved. And he brings you from death to life just like he brought Jesus from death to life in the resurrection. One of the great truths about having the Spirit of God inside of you when you get saved is that you don't just get part of Him, you get all of Him, or you get none of Him. I've told you before, I remember where I was sitting when I heard a message on this, and I learned that I had as much of the Spirit as everybody else did. I, what a blessing it was to me. I think I went forward and, and prayed that night, Ronnie, and, and praised God for getting the this realization that I've got as much spirit for me back then as when God was calling me out to preach. And I, I realized I've got the same amount of the spirit of God as Billy Graham has. That's what I realized that night. The same amount. Because the spirit is a person. You don't just get his arm or just get his leg. 
You get all of him or you get none of him. And you're the same. No matter who you are, no matter how insignificant you feel you are, if you've been saved, you got all of the Spirit of God inside of you. And that's a part of his love for you. He came to dwell inside of you and to bring death back to life, to give you life where you once knew death. There's one thing very clear about the Spirit of God. He does things inside of you that you cannot do for yourself. Uh, you don't have power to do it. You can change and, and stop sinning for a little while, but you cannot change your heart. You can start with a, a New Year's resolution and do something different for a little while, but you cannot change your nature. We can even make considerable changes like laying aside certain habits or, or beginning some new uh, churchy thing like going to church. But we cannot turn darkness into light and we cannot turn death into life. But the Spirit of God, when He comes inside of you, He turns death into life and you're born from above. And the Spirit of God empowers you to live from that day on with the authorities of God upon your life. So the indwelling of the Spirit. The second thing is the help of the Spirit. In this context, He prays for you. We found this in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. You got some weaknesses? The Spirit helps your weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I remember when I preached on this message and, and talking about the weaknesses that we have in the places that you're weak, uh, men as a husband, the places that you're weak, men as a father, the places that we're weak spiritually, and there's things that Sometimes we don't even know what to pray for, much less how to pray for it. But it says here that the Spirit is praying for you. He's making intercession for you with groanings which cannot be uttered. I think it's things that you don't even know to ask for. That's how much the Spirit loves you. You ever want to know if somebody loves you or not? See if they're praying for you. If somebody's praying for you, I'm going to tell you, bless God they love you. I have, a, I have a funeral on Tuesday at 11. I told you, if you'd love me, at 11 o'clock, mark your calendars. Please pray for me. That's what I ask Tuesday at 11. If somebody loves you, they, they pray for you. When somebody sends me a text and says they're praying for me, I have a, a text that I like to send back. I like to say this in response. He is my greatest friend who would bring my name before the living God. Think about that. He is my greatest friend who would bring my name before the living God. If somebody loves you, they pray for you. And the Spirit of God who dwells inside of you, He's praying for you without ceasing, day in and day out. When you don't even think of praying, the Spirit's praying for you. When you've gotten soft and slow and cold in your prayers, the Spirit's just as hot as He ever was, and He's praying for you. That's how much He loves you. He comes to help you by praying for you. The third thing, I'm going to put two things together here because I, I wanted you to get a hold of this a little bit better. The first one is teaching and the second one is witness. The first one called, comes from John chapter 14, verse 26. It says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, notice again it calls him a helper. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things 
and bring to remembrance all the things that I said to you. So two things he's going to do as your helper. He's going to teach you things, and then the things he's taught you, he's going to bring back to remembrance to you over and over throughout your life. And then the second part of this, the witness of the Spirit is from Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I put these together because I want you to get this, these points that are coming up under the context of, of this clarification of God that comes through the Spirit of God. The Spirit is given to you to teach, and then He's given to you to bear witness. In other words, He takes something. Let me give you the first point, and I'll try to explain it under that point. He teaches you the Word of God. Under the context of the Word of God, when you don't have the Spirit, you can read this old book, and really get very little out of it. Can I get an amen? You can get very little out of it. But then one day you get saved, and the Spirit of God comes to dwell inside of you. And this same book that the day before you could barely understand, the Spirit who's inside of you begins to teach you in your, in your weakness. He begins to teach you the things that are here in this book. And not only teach you, but then bring them back to remembrance to you just when you need them most. And not only teach you and remind you of them, but he is the one who bears witness of these things to you. And by that, let's look back at Romans 8, 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, it is the Spirit who convinces your spirit that you are God's Son. It is the Spirit who convinces you that you are God's child. And so the same way the Spirit teaches you the Word of God, you now understand it by the Spirit being inside of you. It is the Spirit who is the persuader of truth and convinces you that what you just read is actually true. And my God shall supply all my needs through Christ Jesus. It is the Spirit who teaches you what those needs are and then it's the Spirit who convinces you of the truthfulness of that promise that you just read. Does that make sense? And so he teaches and witnesses to you or convinces you of these truths. Let me give you another one. He convinces you that God loves you. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. It says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. You remember when we preached on this in Romans chapter 5, that was a long time ago, we talked about pouring loads of water on somebody. And here he's saying the Holy Spirit inside of you has poured out something. He has done it with he's just gushing out of you. He's poured out this truth. What does it say in Romans 5, 5? The love of God. And so the Spirit is teaching you about how God loves somebody. And then the Spirit is convincing you that God loves you. Do you know that? God loves you. I want everybody to say, God loves me. Say that with me. God, God loves me. It's the Spirit who brings that home. It's the Spirit who convinces you of the truthfulness of that statement, God loves you. Have you ever been uh, just singing a song or, or, or somewhere just really hurting and all of a sudden you're aware Almighty God loves you? That's the Spirit's work. That's the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit that God loves you. When you uh, hear the story of Jesus again, the story of how Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins, 
How he washed our sins away as far as the east is from the west. And when you hear things that he did that for you, and, and it's reminded to you. How many times have you heard about the, the Lord Jesus died on the cross? If you've been in church very long, you've heard about it a lot, haven't you? But it's the Spirit who's reminding you and stirring that fresh and new in your heart. And He's convincing you that Jesus died for you and Jesus loves you. The Spirit does not pro promote Himself. Just take a minute to speak on that. He does not promote Himself. He promotes Jesus the Son. But you've got to know this about the Spirit. When He's promoting Jesus that He loves you, it is the Spirit's love for you that compels Him to do that. There's nothing greater He could do than to convince you of the love of God. The next one. He's also convincing you of the purity of God. In other words, first of all, the Spirit teaches you what it is to be pure what it is to be holy and, and clean before a holy God. He convinces you then that you can be cleansed, that you can be washed. And then he, once he saves you, he comes inside of you, and he's convincing you now that you are clean and that you've been washed by the blood. It's the Spirit's work that convinces you that you stand clean before a holy God. Have you ever sung that song, It Is Well With My Soul? It is well with my soul. You ever sung that song? It is well. I wish I could sing. I'd break out right here. Right? It is well with my soul. You know, you're with me, right? Have you ever sung that song and while you're singing it, without a doubt, without a doubt, you know that it is well with your soul? Have you ever had that happen? That's the Spirit of God working in you. That's him bearing witness with you that it is well with your soul. And you stand right before a holy God. That's how much the Spirit loves you. This, this new change that he brings in you when he brings about purity. He gives you a desire for righteousness. That's the Spirit's love. That's the Spirit's work. You didn't want righteousness before, but now you want it. Your desire to, to fight with sin. You want to fight sin now. You want to Beat sin to death, don't you? You want to win the victory over sin. That's the Spirit's work inside of you. If you're at work, war with sin, you've got to know that it was God who was at war with sin way before you were. And God warred with sin for you, and He beat sin for you, and now He put the Spirit inside of you to cause you to want to fight with sin. God's working inside of you through the Spirit for purity. Praise Him for that. That's how much He loves you. If you want to think for a second about your children, one of the things you'll get really emotional about real quickly is the purity of your children. Them being protected purely by the, by, by the power of God. Praise God when they get saved, He puts His Spirit inside them. And He causes them to want purity, something they didn't want before. And he causes them to fight with sin, something they didn't fight before. That's the work and the love of the Holy Spirit of God. The next thing he does is he convinces you of the presence of God. He convinces you how that God is with you. And now you don't just hope God is with you. You know that God is with you. He told Moses and Joshua in the Old Testament, he said, be strong and full of courage, I'll be with you wherever you go. 
He told Israel in the Old Testament, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Do not fear, for I am with you. And in the New Testament, when Jesus is introduced, he's introduced as with this name, Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And Jesus has come to make God a part of us. And so Jesus then, when he leaves after the resurrection, and he ascends on high, he says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, he calls him. And he's going to be with you from now on. And his role with you is to bring to you the reality that God is with you. I think sometimes this is one of the greatest works of the Spirit in my life. The reality of the awareness that God is with me. Who's doing that? The Spirit is doing that. Who gets credit for that? The Spirit does. It's because He loves you that He's convincing you that God is with you. You can't give anybody else credit for that. I don't know about you, but I love good preaching. Do you like that? I love to hear some good preaching. And when I do hear good preaching, I'm real aware of one thing. It's not the man that's allowing me to hear the presence of God or know the presence of God. It's the God of, of all gods and the King of all kings. And he has put his spirit inside of me. And he is allowing me to know as I listen to that preaching that God loves me or God's there for me or God's going to protect me or whatever the truth may be. It is not credit to the preacher. It is credit to the spirit of God and his dear love for you. He loves you like no other because he's going to come to you repeatedly throughout your life and convince you that God is with you and God has not left you and God is not going to leave you. And so he takes away all your fears and your worries. It's not to the credit of a song leader either. You ever listen to a good song or stand in worship in a, in a good church and be singing a song? And without a doubt, it happened to me just a moment ago. I'm not a big hand raiser like this. But what I do occasionally when I'm really aware of the presence of God is I'll, I'll pick my Bible up like this. That's my little incognito hand lifting. That's what I do. I did it just a minute ago while we were singing. And it wasn't due to these singers as good as they are and as much as I love them. It's due to the presence of the Spirit of God that's inside of me and inside of you that you can never know how much God is with you in any given moment, even though you may sing a great song or somebody might sing a great song in front of you. It's the Spirit of God who comes inside of you and says, God Almighty is with you now. God is with you now. And there's nothing better than experiencing the reality and the convincing power that God is with you you and with me the next one is the convincing of, of peace the peace of God I find this one is needed so often in tribulations in times of suffering in times of a lack of ease you could say in times when there's something going on that you could be scared of that could cause great <laughs> havoc in your life a lot of times in these cases, people want the preacher to visit. <laughs> I don't think you're that way as much as some churches because you know I don't got much to give. You've learned that over the years. I don't got much help to offer. I'm just, I'm just old John. You know? But I've learned this. I, I do like to come. I, I love you. I like to be there on those occasions. But I'm very aware. I'm very aware that it's the Spirit of God who's going to comfort you in that season. It's the Spirit of God who's going to bring peace to your troubled soul. 
when all hell's come against you and all the attacks of the enemy has come and an onslaught against you or your family or somebody you love, it's only God in his spirit who's going to bring the peace to your little precious heart. Have you ever experienced it? Sometimes it's in, in the face of somebody dying, somebody you love that has passed away and gone on to be with the Lord, and you're just brokenhearted, and you're sad. Praise God, His Spirit loves you. He loves you so much, He'll, he'll sit down inside of you and just stir up this peace and let you know it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I find myself often when I have faced the death of somebody that I love dearly, one of the things the precious Spirit will do to me is He'll allow me to find myself alone. Uh, you know, sometimes when people die, that's one of the hardest things you can do is find the ability to get alone. And sometimes it, was, it would be something on the farm that would happen or break down. On another occasion, it was the car that might break down, and I've got to be out there working by myself, and all of a sudden, I realize I'm by myself, and my heart is heavy, and my heart is broken because I love that man or that woman who's gone on to be with the Lord, but it is there that I find myself alone, that I realize I'm not alone. I have the Spirit of God inside of me, and He brings peace to me in those moments. You say, did the tears stop? No, the tears might flow heavier than they were flowing the moments before. But it is in those tears that I am more aware of the presence of God and the peace of God that the Bible says is beyond understanding. It's beyond understanding. That man has gone on to be with the Lord, and I can't understand it. It's beyond my mind. But I know this, the Spirit who loves me, who's inside of me, is giving me peace in this moment like never before. Praise God, the Holy Spirit loves you and gives you peace like that. Number four, He gives you power. The Spirit of God gives you power. And I'm going to just tie this one with Acts chapter 1, verse 8, one of the greatest quoted verses of the Bible about Jesus the Spirit giving you power. It says you shall receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and in the end of the earth. And, and a lot of times we use that verse to say this power has come upon you so that you can go be witnesses. But I think we've got a little, we get a little cart before the horse here. The power has come upon you through the Spirit of God, I believe, to teach and to convince you of a lot of these things we just talked about. The power has come upon you to teach the Word of God and, and, and to understand the Word of God, to, to convince you that God loves you, to convince you that you can be pure and holy before God, to convince you that God's presence is with you, to convince you that God loves you and He's there for you. And that's the power of God's Spirit working in your life. You say, well, as you went through that list, John, I know a time when I was so aware of the presence of God. That's the power of God's Spirit working in you. You say, I know a time when I was so aware of it was well with my soul. That's the power of God's Spirit working inside of you. You say, I know a time when I knew the peace of God that passes understanding. I shouldn't have had peace, but I had peace. That's the power of God working inside of you. So now that you as a Christian 
have experienced this dynamite-like supernatural power of God working inside of you, convincing you of these realities, so much so you know it's true. And you know it's real. What are we talking about? We're not just talking about God and church. We're talking about the King of kings and Lord of lords. I know he's true. I know he's real. How do I know it? Because he walks with me and he talks with me every day that I live. And he's there convincing me of these things. And so that then, when I go to witness, roll tax 1-8, when I go to witness in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria or the ends of the earth, when I go to witness or tell somebody about Jesus at my workplace or in my family or whoever it may be, I can tell them about Jesus because I know that I know because I've experienced the power of the Spirit of God inside of me. I know God is alive. God is real. God is with me. God brings peace. God reveals His presence. I know all these things. So I can testify these things to these people, wherever they may be. And then, here's the key, and then I have trust that the same Holy Spirit that convinced me of all these realities, He's going to convince them of all those realities. You know what that does for us? We don't have to do anything but tell them. We don't have to do anything but tell them. That's all you got to do. You, you say, I don't know how to tell them well. Neither do I. You, you see me, I don't know how. This week, Cindy and I had occasion to tell somebody, this is how you get saved. This is how you get saved. I can't save them. I can't make them want it. I can't make them understand it. I can't make them get it. But the Spirit of God can. How do you know He can? Praise God, He did it to me. He did it to me. And He did it to you. And if you know He did it to you, then you can trust Him to do it to anybody that you would tell. You say, do I need a specific plan? No. Do I need a specific way? No. Do I need to have certain bullets and points? No. You just need to know what God's done in your life and how he saved you. And when you go and tell somebody, then you can trust him to do in their life the same thing that he's done in your life. That's the power of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God loves you. Isn't that precious? He loves you. I'm thankful for that. Now I want to go into the application. Now in the application, I want to say that we are to love Him. The Bible teaches us that God loved us first. And we love Him because He first loved us. And so I think when we come to love the Spirit, it, it comes from a realization of how much the Spirit loves us. I want you to think for that just a minute as we start into this application. Do I love the Spirit? Think about that. Do I love the Spirit? I'm going to give you four ways to love the Spirit. Number one, do not blaspheme the Spirit. Do not blaspheme the Spirit. Now this point is primarily to people who are not saved. If you're not saved, you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit by rejecting salvation through Jesus Christ. The primary work of the Spirit in the life of anybody in this whole world is to draw them to Jesus, convince them of the need of Jesus, and then bring them 
to salvation. John chapter 16, verse 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into truth. He will speak. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. In other words, Jesus says, here's what the Spirit's going to do. He's going to show you the reality of Jesus and bring you to Jesus. When the Spirit comes to you, He's convincing you of sin. He's convincing you of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then the Spirit is coercing you to give your life over to God. And here's what we do. We fight against him. I told you before, I fought against him for months. We tell him, no, I don't, I don't want to be saved. I don't need to be saved. I don't need forgiveness of sins. So be careful if you're there. Because if you do that too much, there is a point of no return. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. He mentions here that blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. What's he talking about? It is ultimately to reject the Spirit's work in your life of drawing you to salvation. When the Spirit is drawing you to be saved, you know God is real. You know you need God. You know you need forgiveness of sins. And you keep pushing Him away. You keep saying no to Him. And ultimately, if you finally say no to the Spirit, I don't want to hear about Jesus anymore. I don't want this salvation in my life anymore. To ultimately do that is to blaspheme the Spirit. In other words, what you're doing is you're saying the Spirit is a liar. And you're saying, I want no part of what you're telling me about Jesus. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, that is an unpardonable sin. In other words, that's a sin that can never be forgiven. I've done two funerals in my life. I've preached two funerals of people who have committed suicide. They've taken their life. And often when you preach a funeral of somebody who's committed suicide, they'll ask you this question. Is sin, the sin of suicide, is that an unpardonable sin? I want you to know that the sin of suicide is not an unpardonable sin. But the sin of pushing God away and saying no and rejecting Jesus Christ is an unpardonable sin. Some of you are here today, and maybe even me, you're listening to this message today, and you know that God is drawing you to Jesus, and you need him. And I say to you, do not reject him. What a dangerous thing it is to harden your heart and put up barriers and say, no, I don't want Jesus. That is blasphemy against the Spirit of God. Number two, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now we move into believers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. If we think about grief, we think about making, making anguish or sadness come about. We can grieve the Holy Spirit with unconfessed confessed sin. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, 29-31. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, 
with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. So he's saying here, get these sins out of your life because if you allow these sins to exist in your life, you're grieving the spirit who's in you. I want to make a point to those sins in verse 31. All those sins are sins of relationship with brothers. Do you, do you see that? Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slandering others, forms of malice. These are all sins that have to do with your relationship with somebody else. He's saying if you don't get things right with those people, it grieves the Spirit of God. If you carry that anger, that malice, that rage, that slander in your life, it grieves the Spirit of God. When the Spirit directs you to forgive somebody, you're to forgive. The Bible even gives this relationship in several places. The same way you've been forgiven by Jesus, you're asked to forgive them. And so if you're here today and you say, I don't know if I'm grieving the Spirit. I hope I'm not. Then you can just go down that list. Do you have bitterness towards somebody? Do you have anger towards somebody? Do you have malice towards somebody? Unforgiveness or rage towards somebody? If you do, and you're carrying that in your life, then you're grieving the Spirit of God today. And if you love the Spirit, you don't want to grieve Him. And so it's on that motivation that I call upon you today to forgive and let these relationships be healed by the power of the Spirit who's inside you. Number three, do not quench the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. And King James says, Do not quench the Spirit. It's to pour water on the Spirit's fire in your life. It's a beautiful picture of something being on fire, and you put water on it to douse it out. If you think about the fire of the Old Testament, it was a pillar of fire that led them by night. Fire going from the heavens to the earth and and that was the, the leading of God during the night time. What if you could douse that out with, with water and, and put that fire out? That's what it's saying here. God's trying to lead you by spirit. And when you know the spirit is asking you to move and you don't do it, it's like pouring cold water on the fiery work of the spirit in your heart. Nothing sweeter for the believer than to be aware of the working of the Spirit in your life. To have the direction of the Spirit. The, the, uh, I compare Jack sometimes to being in tune with a guitar. If you're in tune with God, then the Spirit directs you. It's the way it should be. It's not abnormal. It's spiritually normal to be led by the Spirit. Now, we don't live like that 24 hours a day all year long. I don't, know, I don't. I don't know if you do, but I long for that. I don't want to quench the Spirit. There was some couple of weeks ago during the night. The Lord often wakes me up at night to pray. But a couple of weeks ago, the Lord woke me up at about 4 a.m. I sat straight up in the bed. And I had a man's name on my mind. And I knew I had to pray. I got out of bed and went to pray for this guy. 
didn't know anything. I felt like the Spirit of God said, go and pray. And I prayed for him for some time before I went back to bed and went back to sleep. I texted him the next morning. I said, what went on last night? I prayed for you. And he gave me this long list of things, the heavy things. I won't go into them, but heavy things they were going through during that night. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you it felt good. It feels good to know that the Spirit is working in you and has you aware of something He's leading you to do. Has the, has the Spirit ever told you to send somebody a card or give somebody some money or do something for somebody and you knew that it was the Spirit who led you to do that? That is a sweet thing. That is a powerful thing. But if you resist that, if you resist that and you say no to the Spirit's prompting, it's like pouring water on the fire. Is the Spirit of God been prompting you to do something right now? I, I'll tell you, as I was studying this, I've got something the Spirit's been telling me to do for about a week now, and I've not done it yet. I tried to get to it every day this week, and I didn't get to it. But by the grace of God, I'm going to get to it the first of this week. And I know it's something the Spirit wants me to do. Is, is there something in your life the Spirit wants you to do if you're not doing it, you're quenching the Spirit's leadership. You're saying, all right. A, a, lot, of, a lot of times we blame this on uh, insecurity. We feel like we're humbled. You know, I don't know if that's God or not. You know, you're, you're right. Look, if it's to talk bad about somebody, that's not God. You <laughs> If it's to help somebody, I'm going to tell you, that's not the devil telling you to do that. The devil's not going around saying, I think you should go help them. That, no, that's the Lord. And so if, if you want to be in tune with the Spirit, if you want the Spirit's leadership in your life, then when He tells you something to do, do it. That's simple. Number four. Want him in your life. In other words, want the Spirit in your life. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, he will, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If then you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is a great story that we're given here by Jesus about how you can just ask and God will give you His Spirit. He said this way, God wants you to have His Spirit more than you want to have His Spirit. You ever say, help me Lord? That's one of my most frequent prayers. Help me Lord. I think the most frequent should be though, Lord give me your Spirit. Because He is the helper. We've read that in several of these verses. Lord give me your Spirit. And the Bible is saying here, and God will give Him to you. If you ask and keep asking, then God will give you His Spirit. If you want the Spirit in your life, all you got to do is ask. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, then ask. 
some of us have been so consumed with doing what we want to do, with what we're able to do, that we're living way beneath the power that could be in our lives, simply because we don't love the Spirit enough to want Him in our life, to want Him to lead us, to want Him to control us. There's a, there's a vacuum in your life. When, when your self-control rushes in, you're, you're pushing the Spirit out. You're rejecting the Spirit. But when you invite the Spirit in, you say, I want the Spirit's guidance. I want the Spirit to lead me. I want to be in tune with the Spirit. When you do that, it pushes yourself aside. There's a great writer, Lewis Schaefer, once said, there's nothing so misdirected as a self-directed life. You want to make some bad choices? You want to go down the wrong path? You want to do some things you shouldn't do? Then you keep charge of your life, and you'll blow it. We need the Spirit's guidance, His control of our lives. So ask. Look at what He said at the beginning of that. You who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father give the Spirit to them who ask Him? He said in verse 9, ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. In other words, repeatedly throughout your life. If you love the Spirit, you'll be doing this. You'll be saying, Father, will you give me the Spirit? Will you let the Spirit guide me? Will you let the Spirit lead me? Will you let the Spirit feel me? And God promises he'll answer that Spirit. I'll tell you ladies something. You want to know a man that you've married that this is going to be something beautiful in your life? You let that man become a man who relies on the Spirit of God. Woo! What a man that'll be. <laughs> what a man that'll be if your man begins to trust and, and ask and believe on the power of the working of the Spirit of God in his life. He'll be a different man. He'll be a better man. Men, you want to know what kind of wife you could have? Woo! <laughs> How precious she could be. You let her become a lady who relies on the Spirit of God. Who says, I don't want to make my own choices today and be selfish. I want the Spirit to lead me. Lord, send me the Spirit. Spirit, what do you want me to do? I love you because you love me so much. I want you to your direction for my life. Whoa, okay, parents. What about our kids? What about our saved kids? You want to see that brother be good to his sister? That sister be good to her brother? <coughs> Why is that so odd? It don't have to be odd if you rely on the Spirit, does it? That young man saying, I want the Spirit to control me. The Spirit to lead me. Well, I'll close with one more thing. You want to hear some good preaching in this old church? you want to come here and hear good preaching, then you need a pastor who will be saying, Lord, let the Spirit lead me. Let the Spirit control me. Because we're a mess without him, aren't we? We need the Spirit every day. And if you love him, you'll want him in your life enough to make it your main prayer. Lord, give me the Spirit because I need help. I need help. Would you pray with me? That is your prayer. Would you cry out to God and say, Lord, give me the Spirit, because I need help. Just ask Him.
in a, in a part of your asking, would you would you tell him you love him? You maybe never done that. Just say, Holy Spirit, I love you. You've been so good to me, convincing me of the truths of God and the things of God. Thank you for, for loving me. Father, we give you our lives afresh and anew. And we pray for you to give us the Spirit of God and work in us by the Spirit of God. We pray you would lead us and guide us and direct us by the Spirit of God. Lord, make us who you want us to be by the Spirit of God. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We just